<laughs> it's good to be back with you. You all look about the same. <laughs> Haven't aged dramatically since the last time I saw you. And it is actually wonderful to be with you. And to be in God's Word with you. We're going to go to the book of Philippians. It was written by Paul when he was in prison. So you keep that in the back of your mind when you ever read this letter. It's written by a guy who's in chains and in a prison cell. And so what looks like a very limited situation uh, becomes one in which he opens the doors of heaven to the Philippians and to the folks who are gathered here at Longview Point in Orlando, Mississippi. We're grateful to the Lord's God and His Holy Spirit who opens that word to us now. It's in chapter 3. It's a church that Paul had founded about probably 15 years earlier. And now from that jail cell, he is coaching them on how to live the Christian life. And you'll look with me in chapter 3. We're going to look just at a few verses that are familiar to you. But one that, uh, some that bear repeating. They're fundamental truths. Uh, it's always interesting on Saturday evening to listen to the SEC coaches talking about their, their loss <laughs> and their plan for the coming week is that we're going to go back over the fundamentals. So that, that's what we're doing today, going back over the fundamentals of how to live the Christian life. So would you stand with me and let's look at Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, Yet one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And then this last little bit from verse 17. Join together with me in following my example. And Father, we pray now that you would bless your word to our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would make it real and compelling to us. That we would rise from this place, God, to this world, better equipped and fully intentional to live the life you've laid out before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I didn't have a smartphone in June of 1982 to record this event. But it was worthy of recording, and it is fixed in my brain, of a birthday race that took place in the backyard of our house over in Woodland Mills, Tennessee. Of all the little labor kids and friends of the church invited over for a five-year-old's birthday, fifth birthday. And one of the big events was the birthday race. 
Unfortunately for the birthday boy, most of his friends were twice his age. <laughs> so they were all lined up, and I told them, I want you to run across the yard to the soybean field over there, and I want you to run back where it gets back first, gets the prize, and I don't remember what the prize was, but it was substantial. <laughs> Into the hundreds of M&Ms. <laughs> and so they lined up. And the ready, set, go, Wizard Allison, off they went full speed ahead. And when the first of the runners hit the edge of the soybean field to turn around and head back to the house, the birthday boy was only halfway to the mark. But when they turned around, he turned around. <laughs> he started running towards me with a look of absolute panic. I've got to get to the finish line before the rest of them. There was never more resolute determination and expectation of a win than I saw in that little boy's eyes. Now, I won't tell you who that was, especially since I promised I'd sell any before Jason's stories. <laughs> this church. <coughs> you know it's cute when a five-year-old does something like that. But a high school uh, track star, if he tried something like that, it would be over. Uh, what's cute when you're young uh, will not serve us when we're older. And in the same way we're looking at a passage of scripture that begins to coach us in a way that how to run this race. It, it, it's, it's not a sprint. There's no shortcuts. You don't turn around halfway and, and pretend you're a winner. It is the truth of God's scripture that equips us to run this race with a, an intentional understanding of what God is calling us to do. And so from that, can you picture this old coach, Paul? And he's looking at that team that was formed some years ago there in Philippi. And they're faced with many issues, many doctrinal issues and some internal stresses. And he's coaching them now. This is how you run the race. I can't think of anything more important for Longview Point right now than to understand the dynamics of this race and to make sure we're all in it together. All in it together. This is a time, I think it's a healthy time for a church when you're in transition, but you understand again that the leadership, the power, the life of the church must be invested by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, not simply in the man who leads. In fact, Paul says, and he makes it very clear to them, I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. I'm not at the end of the race. You know, 40 years in ministry and, and you're still running, you're still, you're still headed toward the goal. And, and any, any man who will ever stand in this pulpit has got to come to the same conclusion. I haven't arrived. We haven't arrived. So let's encourage one another and let's get in this together. That's what the passage is about. Notice first of all that I must, if I'm going to run this race effectively, this, this Christian life lived effectively, I must make an honest evaluation of my spiritual condition. Can you jot that in those blanks and let it be a reminder to you? I must make an honest evaluation of my spiritual condition. And then Paul repeats it twice. Not once, but twice. He says, not that I've already attained it 
or have already become perfect, that's mature. Brethren, then he says in verse 13, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it. So here is an honest evaluation. And that's what each of us need to do. And I think we need to do it this morning. Where are you in this Christian race? You know, you know, here's the start. Let's just assume here's the starting line right here. And that's where we begin. You can't get in the race unless you enter the race. Have you entered the race? Have you made that fundamental point of realization? Paul mentions in this third chapter, back in the previous verses, of having found a righteousness that is by faith and not by works. So by faith, he enters this race. He believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He believes that his death counts for him. He believes that all of that life that he lived before, all of the sin he was engaged in, is now covered with the blood. And now he's free to run. So he's entered the race. I have to ask you, have you entered the race? Are you a spectator? Are you in the stands? And some of you, honestly, if you look at the situation of your life, you have to realize I've been watching this whole thing. Some of you have come up to the line. You've looked at You understand it. You could tell me everything I just said. But you yourself have not in your heart of hearts entered into this race. You have not entered into it. How do we know? Because you've never taken another step. You've never obeyed Him in that act of baptism. That's part of, the, part of getting in on this race that He set before us. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been baptized in His name. I love Him enough to humble myself and show everyone where I stand. And have you taken that step of church membership? Have you joined together with a local body of believers? Or are you wandering from church to church? That step of anchoring yourself in the church. And then just continuing in this walk with Jesus Christ. You know, some folks get sidelined, don't they? Some folks get tired. Some people are in it to win it. And so what the call of Scripture is today is long you point, get in it to win it. Yes, yes. To get there to that point where you're growing and you're going with Jesus. And you're not, you know, I think the problem with a lot of us Baptists is that we think the starting line is the finish line. All right. You know, once I get there, it's all done. You finally got me and finally I'm saved. That's what it's all about, being saved. And not realizing there's a finish line. I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to get to the finish line. I kept thinking about how this misunderstanding about the starting line. It's like when Marsh and I stood here to get, not right here, but we stood in a place like this to get married some years ago. And uh, we took each other's hands and we made these vows to each other and committed our lives to each other. And wouldn't it have been strange after she said, I do, she said, and one other thing. <laughs> I'll be on my way now. This has been great. Why don't we get together in 50 years and celebrate what we've just done? <laughs> well, I, I think that's the attitude of a whole lot of Christians, you know? I got to the starting line. I made my initial commitment. Now I'm just going to go away and live whatever way I want to live. But the way to live is getting the race. And you're going with Jesus. And you're going to the finish line. And that finish line is not till you draw your last breath 
or He comes for you, and then you can say it's finished. But you, you don't quit along the way. Honestly, if you made a spiritual evaluation of where you are, what would you say? See, it's not even a matter of age. I, I know some young people that are well along in the race, some 20, 25, 30 year olds who have such a dynamic love for the Lord, they've moved on, they keep moving on toward that finish line. And I know some people in their 60s and 70s, my own age, and, and they don't have a spiritual bone in their body. They're just lingering back here. Get in the race. Enter the race. Make an honest evaluation of where you are. And then, if you look with me, second thing I just really want to recall to you from Coach Paul is I must continue to be relentless and pressing on. This issue of pressing on. Great little Greek word, Yoko. To exert to the uttermost. To extend the maximum effort. An active pursuit, not passive contemplation. It's a real seriousness, a real earnestness to get on the road with Jesus, to press on toward maturity, to press on in pleasing Him in the way I live so that when I come face to face with Christ my Savior, it will be glory and not shame. Press on and pursue. It's the same word, you know, it's the same concept that Paul used when he said, I travel from city to city pursuing those who are walking in the way, those who are Christians. Pursue those Christians. Paul, pre-Christian Paul, was chasing down Christians. And now he says, I'm chasing down Jesus. I'm chasing Him. I want to reach Him. I want to be... I want to be all that Jesus wants me to be. Could there ever be just a most simple clarity of what pressing on is? I want to be all that Jesus saved me to be. That's what the Christian life is about. Can you say that? I mean, is that where you are? I want to be all that Jesus wants me to be. Or are you satisfied with spectator Christianity? I want to be all that Jesus wants me to be, so I press on. I think this is a, the core of this passage of Scripture, one that really needs to be nailed down. So let's look at it intently. I want to press on with a clearly defined purpose. <coughs> a clearly defined purpose. And Paul wrote, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That is a great little expression. It has, it's kind of a mind bender for a minute. I want to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. I want to catch that which He caught me for. And I can just see uh, Jesus getting that old saw of Tarsus by the back of His collar then on the road to Damascus. And just holding on to Him and He said, I've arrested you, Paul. I've apprehended you. I've got a hold of you. You're never going to be the same. Now get on this starting line. I'm turning you around. And now I want you to apprehend what I've apprehended you for. I want you to catch hold of what I caught you for. 
And, and that is what Coach Paul is saying is the situation of every believer. Jesus is out to catch you. To catch hold of you, even this morning. Turn you around and get you in on what He got you in for. To make you more like Him. You know, several months ago, I preached in this church in Romans 8.28. Do you recall what Romans 8.28 says? I told you I'd come back and test you sometime. In all things, God is working for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Purpose. Can you make a connection with what we're seeing here? I've gotten hold of your poem and I've turned you around for a purpose. I've apprehended you so that you would apprehend my purpose and you would go after my purpose for your life. What is my purpose? What is that purpose? Romans 8, 28 and 29. In all things God is working for good to those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined. It's okay when your Presbyterian friends ask you to believe in predestination. You say, sure. <laughs> because I'm predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm predestined. The whole of this race is predestined. It is determined that God's purpose for me and for you and for all of us as a church family as we run this race, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. No, it's not all good. There's hard times. It's a hard path. Sometimes it's an upward way. But in that way, as I struggle against sin, I struggle against the devil, I struggle against my own flesh, God is working. And He's conforming me. He's conforming you to the image of His own Son. So that when I show up here, He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. God. It's not a matter of being perfect. It's a matter of not quitting. I may not be the fastest runner. Lord knows I'm not fast runner. <laughs> But I get out there and I try to walk and I set my goal and I don't quit. And I come home panting and needing a rest for a little bit. But then I get up and keep walking. And that's what the Christian life is. It's not that you've perfected yet. It's that you're on that road. And you want Jesus to make you the person He saved you to be. Don't you? Don't you? Look here. You press on with single-minded determination. You press on. You press on with a purpose. You press on with single-minded determination like that little boy, that five-year-old in that race. If he had one thing right, it was a determination part. I pray you get that right. Determine. Determination. And it's wrapped up in that expression in 13, verse 13. One thing. And most of the translations say one thing I do. The I do isn't even there. It's just one thing. It's the way the Greek is. One thing. One thing. Most important thing. Do you remember when Jesus showed up with the disciples at Mary and Martha's house? And Martha was kind of caught off guard. She goes to the kitchen. She's working really hard. And... Uh, I always hesitate to tell the story in front of Baptist women. 
especially because I know Baptist women have Martha as their patron saint. <laughs> but she's vexed, and she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Mary won't help me. She's just sitting in here, and she won't come help me, and I've got all this stuff going on in the kitchen. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and vexed about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the better part sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just listening to Him. Wanting to fellowship with Him. Wanting to be with Him. One thing. You don't see many people running a race with a cell phone. <laughs> Can you imagine the distraction of trying to organize the rest of your day and everybody else's day on your phone while you're trying to win a race? And that's a picture I hope you walk away with. There are many things that are distracting you from winning this race, running this race to win it. You know, sometimes they're even good things. But if there's anything that is distracting you from the, from the one thing that's so important, your, your own deep, growing fellowship with Jesus Christ, it could be a person. It could be things in the kitchen. It could be things in the family. It can be the distraction of a habit or activities that you have allowed to so squeeze that devotion you you know you, you had from here when you started. But along the way that this kind of cell phone running of this and that and crowded out times with Jesus. It's time to press on the single-minded one thing matters, determination. There's this beautiful truth here. Press on by forgetting the past and focusing on the future. Forgetting the past and focusing on the future. Run. How do you run? Forget the past. Don't look back. Focus on the future. The future that matters. It's what's going to happen the rest of this day, this week, this year. Until you breathe your last breath, that's what, that's what matters. There is a uh, really interesting story about Roger Bannister. He was the first guy to break the four-minute mile. 1954. No one had run the mile in under four minutes until 1954, and Roger Bannister, an Englishman, ran it. But just a few weeks later, another guy ran a, a race that was under the four minutes. His name was John Landy. He was an Australian. And so there was a lot of contention and discussion in that world in 54 about who would be the fastest guy who would win the race if they raced against each other, Landy or Roger Bannister. And so it was decided that in, later in 54, at the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver in Canada, the, the two men would meet up for the mile race. Now, it was called the Miracle Mile. And it was the biggest sensation of that time in sports. At least two four-minute milers were going to face each other off to see who could win. And so at the at the starting uh, at the start, they both took off. They both were doing well. But John Landy began to overtake Bannister. And uh, by the time they made that third circuit of the course, uh, Bannister was out in front. And then Landy comes and he takes over and he's out in front. And, and Landy maintained a lead through the, the third circle, the third course of that race. But when they, when they entered the fourth and final lap, 
landing, looks over his left shoulder to see where Bannister is. At that exact moment, Bannister comes charging up on the right side, overtakes him, finishes the course in the lead, and wins in this mega race of the 1950s. The interesting fact is at the exact moment he looked over his shoulder, somebody took a picture of Lanny looking over his shoulder. It was later made into a bronze statue that stood out in front of the arena. It still is up there in Vancouver. You can find it in Vancouver at the Sports Stadium of two runners. And one's looking over his left shoulder. And you see Bannister in bronze <laughs> sweeping past him. Many years later, John Landy visited and looked at the statue and he said, you know, there's a story in the Bible about Lot's wife looking backward and he turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> he said, I'm, on, I'm the only man ever looked backwards and was turned into bronze. <laughs> As we're looking backward, that's turned into bronze. Get focused on the past. I'm going to give you four things right quick that you need to remember to forget. Now, can you do that? Can you remember to forget something? Or I want you to forget to remember. Maybe that's better. Number one, forget past sin. That is sin previous to your entering the race. Paul had to forget all that he had done, the persecution of Christians, the stoning of Stephen, all of the ugliness of his life. He had to forget all of that Judaism, all that religiosity. He forgot it all. Forget all your past sin. Where is it? Where's our past sin? You confessed it. You repented from it. Where is it? Far as east is from the west. And he remembers it no more. Don't let the devil torment you with a guilt that's not from God. Holy Spirit, conviction comes from God to turn us toward repentance. Guilt and shame come from the devil to stop you in your tracks and derail you and sideline you from this Christian race. Don't let him do it. Amen. It's under the blood. If sin is hindering you this morning and, and you're looking back on it and you can't get past it, this is the day to go back to the cross, kneel before Him and pray, Lord Jesus. Wash me thoroughly from my sin and cleanse me from my iniquity, creating me a clean heart. Because I want to run with you, Jesus. Yes, Father. Yes. Forgetting our past that's covered by the blood, forgetting our past failure. For he is a God of the second chance. Forgetting our past failure. Can, can you name for me any of those central characters of the Bible? from Moses on that did not have some failure in their life? Can, can you look at this book and see the great grace of our God who is the God of the second chance? Can you see it? I don't have to tell you the stories of David. Don't have to go too long to understand how God gave second chances to all his servants and you're no different you may have failed you may have failed miserably to be the person you you wanted to be but but there's a, a dark veil that all the what-ifs of life put over us a doom and a gloom 
What if I had done this? What if I had done that? You know what? It doesn't matter anymore. Let me give you a what if. What if today I put my failures behind me? What if today I got back on my feet? What if today I just take off with Jesus and live for Him to be all that He saved me to be? What if you did that? All my past grievances. You know, we're, we're all in this together. We're, we're all somewhere in the race. We're all running at different speeds and different lanes. And, and sometimes we bump each other. And, and sometimes we step on one another's toes. And sometimes you may got the elbow from a fellow runner. But what a glory day. We're in the house of God with a great God of grace. You can just say, you know what? That doesn't matter. There's nobody perfect in this race. We're not perfect yet. We're nobody perfect in this race, and I'm not perfect. But, but let the grace of God just cover the church. And you can look across this church, you can look at every single person in it, and there's not a person you would hold a grievance against. Isn't that beautiful? Not a person here you, you would hold a grudge against. Can you just look around the room and just say before God, by your grace, Lord, I love all these people. And we're in it together. And I'm here to help them get across the finish line. Forget past successes. They wouldn't maybe expect this. But Paul could have written this letter to the Philippians and he could have bragged about all the things that had happened in Philippi. 15 years before. Oh, you should have been there that day when Lydia down by the riverside and I walked up to her and I saw that she was lost and we brought up the gospel and she was saved. Oh, you should have seen that situation when that slave girl was brought forward and we cast the demons out of her and she began to follow Jesus. Oh, you should have been there that day in the prison cell when the earthquake came and shook the chains loose and Silas and me, we got out of there and if the letter had been all about that, they would have never heard about how to run the race. Just not looking back, even on our successes. God gave them to us. We're grateful for them. They helped build us up for the future. But for the future, oh, I used to teach a great class. I had a Sunday school class. You should have seen it. Oh, I used to be in the choir. I had a great voice. I don't have a voice now. <laughs> yeah, no, we can go on and on about how time has robbed us of many things, but time does not rob us of one thing is that we still have time to run on for Jesus. You breathing? Amen. Are you still breathing? You still time. You know, rest back here, dear brother and sister. Oh, some of the sweetest people in my life have been the oldest saints. I first walked into a Baptist church, scared, and didn't look like a Baptist at all. And especially in 1968, 69, my hair down on my shoulders and jeans with a t-shirt. I walked in. You can look like that now. It's okay. <laughs> but I'm telling you, in 1969, you were an odd man out in a Baptist church. But I got to the back of that Baptist church and this other man came and he put his arm around me and he said, Son, you come sit with me. And I sat with him. And I'll never forget that first song. 
and pie, pie, pie in the blood. <laughs> I looked up Lucy Presley, he was singing his heart out about pie in the blood. I'm standing there just, just feeling so out of it. He's looking down at me smiling. I want to tell you, there's nothing sweeter than a saint who's been in the race and he's encouraging others. He's encouraging some young man, a sweet, godly couple in their 80s or their 90s who still can look at somebody and say, son, I'm praying for you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm for you. Oh, that's the kind of church this ought to be. Yeah. Focus on the future. Focus on the future because greater days are coming. Greater days are coming in our lives. Greater days are coming in this church. Focus on the future. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the, that's the prize. Fixing my eyes on my Jesus. Yeah. Running home to Him. Running home to Him when this old, this old body of my sin will finally be destroyed and I'll be glorified and we will stand with Him in glory. That's what it's all about. Salvation. Sanctification. But all glory. Glorification. The end of the race. Face to face with Him. Change. Utterly transformed by the presence of Jesus Christ. There's no uh, more in encouraging atmosphere which grows a Christian than the church, the family of God. Number three there on that one, I must encourage others and myself to have a winning attitude. To have a winning attitude. Oh, it's so easy right now to have a whining attitude. And transition time in church is the truth. It's the truth. And I've gone through several transitions with churches and, and churches that were going through transition. And it, it, it is a time, a time where Nancy Negative can get busy. <laughs> or Billy Bob can get gossipy and miserable. But all of us, the scripture says, who are mature should have this attitude of winning attitude. If you have any other different attitude, God will make it clear to you. If you're not in on this and understanding this process of sanctification, I want to ask you just to pray about it and not write it off. Because we're on the way inside. We know how this book ends. And where is Jesus? And I want to be on his side. Back in the early part of the last century, early 1900s, in what is now Zimbabwe, there was a young African pastor. And enemies of the cross came and they put him to death. When missionaries later went through his things, they found something he had written that, that I hope will challenge every one of us in this room about what it is and how it is we run this race. He says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. That's what he wrote. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I won't look back. Let up. 
slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sidewalking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, mundane talking, cheap living, and worthless goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, recognized, praised, or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on His presence, labor in prayer, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. My face is set. My goal is heaven. The road may be narrow, and the way rough, but my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I'll not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I'll not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I won't give up Shut up or let up until I'm caught up. For when he does come for his own, he won't have any trouble recognizing me. For my colors will be clear. Amen and amen. This morning, where are you in the race? If you've not entered it, what a great and glorious day. Just a step forward. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a stand for Him today. He saved me by His blood. I believe that He died for me and He rose again from the grave. That's what I believe and I stand here in that faith. I'm coming home. I'm starting my race with these people. You've never been baptized. That initial step of obedience showing where you stand. You need to join a local church. This is a great church. Why don't you come and be a part of a great church with a great future, looking forward, running together with these folks who are headed home to Jesus. Maybe you stumbled. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you think you're not in the race at all anymore. Get over it. Get up. Come on. When you're here today, Jesus, I'm back in. I'm running with you, Jesus.